Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Startup Happy Hour. I'm Diana Chen, your host, and I'm here today with Arjun Morthy, the CEO and co-founder of The Factual, uh, which is super relevant to us today. The Factual provides unbiased news, which, I mean, that that sounds like magic in and of itself in 2020, right? Hey, Arjun, how's it going? It's going great. Nice to chat with you, Diana. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your story. I'm really excited to talk to you. I mean, first of all, I just want to dive into, uh, tell me a little bit more about the factual, you know, with like, I literally just had a conversation with my parents in our group chat about CNN and, you know, like their views on CNN and how they're not divulging the truth and all of this stuff. And it's, it's all very controversial. And I kind of politics, especially in this day and age, but uh, very interested to hear how you're able to provide unbiased news through the factual. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the anecdote you just gave about yourself talking to your parents and, and struggling with, you know, news sources and what news sources can we agree on um, as being factual and being credible, that conversation is being played out probably on nearly everyone's phone in some WhatsApp group somewhere. Um, So it's a very, very common problem. It's very timely. Uh, We've been working, we're a startup now. uh, We've been uh, working on this for about four years. Uh, It took us a few, a couple of iterations to find product market fit uh, around the fact that it's, uh, you know, unbiased news is the problem. So we always, we're in the news space. We knew people are frustrated with the news and unhappy with it. And we tried a few things, didn't work out, but as we were sort of combing through the wreckage of the early failures, that's when we found out uh, this issue that people were really unhappy with the news, particularly because they just didn't know what to trust. Um, And the way that it actually came about, this might be interesting for your listeners. So our first idea was people said, you know, what's the point of reading the news? I mean, why bother anymore? And so we said, oh, what if we gave you a reason to read the news? Uh, We created this button called the give a damn button, very tongue in cheek. Uh, you could add it to articles, and when you clicked on it, it would look up the content of the article and then look at your location and say, oh, you're in this location, here's your local senator or representative, and this is what they've said about this issue. And here, click to call, click to email. So people are like, oh, that's cool, I'd love to do that, totally useful now. And then we built it, and nobody used it. And we said, hey, what gives? You guys all said you wanted to use this, why aren't you? And I said, I don't know, I don't know if it'll really amount to much, what's the point? And then one common thread started to come. People are like, look, I don't even know uh, what I would say to my senator if I wrote to them. I don't even know if the article I'm reading is any good. Like, I don't want to look stupid in front of them. So then we said, oh, well, if, if your problem is you want to know about this issue before you do something with it, well, we can help you find high quality news uh, so that you can be well-educated and then you can do whatever action you want. Uh, And when we asked people, what do you think makes for high quality news? They said the same four things over and over again. So they said, I would like it to have good evidence, sources, you know, real facts in there. Um, I don't want it to be too opinionated. I'm sick of that. Everything's really opinionated. 
Um, I'd like it to be written by an author who knows what the heck they're talking about, not some kid in Macedonia. So someone that's an expert of some sort. And yeah, on a reputable site, someone that's, you know, a site that's had a reputation for publishing good uh, news. So we took those four factors and we turned them into code. And what we were really looking for is give me stories that are really well-researched, not very opinionated, written by experts and on a reputable site. Those are the four things. And we had this algorithm that rates articles on those four dimensions every day. It does about 10,000 articles a day and it finds the best scoring articles on all the major topics. And then we assemble that together and we have a daily newsletter and a website and it allows people to get um, these highly credible stories across the political spectrum on trending topics. Gotcha. That's super fascinating. So, so the factual isn't a, a collection of articles written by in-house writers. They're articles that you pull from the web based on these four factors that you run the algorithm, that you run through the algorithm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the early principles that we had in the company was uh, the world doesn't need more news written. We have enough news. We need to find the good news. We thought this was a search problem, that there is great journalism out there. It's just not easy to find amid all the junk. And so that's how we approach it. Occasionally, we do write articles when they're really complex topics, and it's just very hard for readers to make head or tail of it. Then our analysts, we have a political science analyst that'll go through reams and reams of articles and, and synthesize it. Um, but that's infrequent. I'd say maybe once a week or so we do it. And it's really good, those pieces, but the majority of it is still finding great writing by others. And is the news that you include on the factual, does that cover all topic areas like politics, business, sports, entertainment, all of these areas, or is it pretty much just focused on current events um, and things that are happening in the world that, you know, that the more quote unquote important things? Yeah. So the formula is we typically pick, uh, we have five topics in every newsletter. Uh, the first two are usually U.S. news, typically politics. Um, and then the next one or two are world and then the last one is business or health or science or arts or entertainment or sports. So it's definitely tipped more towards uh, politics and world news and then a little bit more, a little bit less on the others. If there's a big thing, you know, the Super Bowl or something like that or the Oscars certainly will cover it. But fundamentally, we look for where our algorithm really matters, right? Where, where is it that you're finding a lot of really biased news that you can't trust? It's probably not in the Oscar results. So I don't think we stand out very well there. We'll have a highlight, you know, be one of the links, but the most part that we spend time analyzing and providing little summaries and excerpts are on the really complex political topics. And obviously yesterday, for example, the presidential debate, uh, that one we spent a lot of time on, for example. Yeah, and for context for people listening, we, we're recording this on October 23rd, the day after the presidential debates. And the, so uh, some of what we're talking about today uh, might be relevant to that. When you're listening to it, uh, it will probably be post-election. I can't believe that's already coming up. Um, so, so you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll be out there looking for the best the, the most credible news sources. So as you've, you know, you know, run these articles through your algorithm, have you found that the most credible news sources come from certain publications? Yeah. In fact, we just did a post on what are the most credible sources for news on elections. We also did uh, what are the most credible reporters so we can zoom right into the reporter level. 
And what's really interesting about this, Diana, is, you know, when we wrote the algorithm, initially we were like, big deal. You know, it, all this fancy talk, it's just going to recommend the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, whoop-de-doo. And what really surprised us was it doesn't. Uh, I mean, those are good publications and they score reasonably well, but they're often not the number one on most topics. And what we found is that there were a lot of long tail niche sites that really focus on a topic and get very, very deep on it. Those score the best. And it made sense if you zoom back out on those four factors, right? All those four factors are really a proxy for expertise. If you're an expert on something, you're going to deeply research your work, citations up to the yin yang, quotes, et cetera. You're not going to be that opinionated because you probably know that the issue is complex. Look, you could look at it this way or this way. It's not so easy to just be like black and white. And you've probably written a ton on it. So all those factors are really expertise. And for sites that really hyper-focus on a topic, they tend to score well. And the other interesting thing is if you notice in the four factors, none of those are popularity metrics, right? We don't care about hearts and likes and tweets, even backlinks, which is really what Google's about, is really a sort of popularity. Like everyone links to the New York Times, of course, the New York Times, but we don't care. We, we look at what an article links to, not who's linking back to them. And so if you heavily source your work, you do well. And so this long tail of sites tends to score really well. And also we don't care about your political bias. You know, what we assume is every article, every author has some bias owing to their frame of reference. Like you can't help it. You were brought up in an environment and that's okay. If you wanna get the unbiased story, you have to read a few different angles from a few different points on the spectrum and then you can reach your own conclusions. So the upshot of all this is when we came out with the top sources, for example, for election news, they were not like the New York Times wasn't in there. I, I mean, it's, it's a good source and I wouldn't say don't read it, but it's not the top rated according to us. And we found a few from the right, a few from the left. They're really good. So just throwing it out there, like um, if you're looking for more conservative news, you know, a pretty good publication is the Washington Examiner. Uh, they think of themselves as the analog to the Washington Post, uh, but good, good publication and they score pretty well. And then uh, if you're looking at the left, you'll find uh, actually even a magazine like Slate tends to do pretty well. Uh, I think Slate might be owned by the same conglomerate that used to own the Washington Post, but uh, they write pretty deeply on, on their uh, political topics. So not quite the, the mainstream that you might necessarily think of. That's really fascinating. And that also leads to a question that I was gonna ask earlier is, does the algorithm take into consideration, you know, let me put out 50% uh, left-leaning articles and 50% right-leaning articles. Is there any sort of consideration there with the algorithm or? What like what if the algorithm determines that seventy five percent of credible articles out there are actually left leaning, you know? So then the factual, it, you know, contains more left leaning content than right leaning. How do you balance that and make sure that it's split evenly? Yeah, so it's a little tricky. First of all, it turns out that there is more left leaning content than right leaning content, just sort of an aggregate. And so what ends up happening is that you do tend to see more left leaning content just by virtue of there being more. Uh, we wrote a post on this because some people sometimes think, oh, you guys are biased, you're left-leaning, and, and we take great pains to explain, no, look, it's kind of the environment, this is what happens. 
Also, right-leaning sources are often very much about politics versus left-leaning sources. Uh, there are many that politics is one of the things they cover, but they cover science and health and arts. And so the non-political topics can sometimes rate highly because they're not very opinionated, like science. And so the aggregate score of those sites can sometimes be higher. So there are these reasons why left-leaning sources might score higher. Um, but your, to your first point, you know, we don't try to force too hard and artificial, like you should read 50% left, 50% right. I, I don't know if we're doing a good thing for readers because it's hard enough to find time to read one article. Like tell everyone you've got to read two every time. That's a bit much. So what we're saying is, We'll use this algorithm and we'll find one really good article and we'll give you all the context. Look, these guys tend to lean a little bit left or right. And, but, you know, by and large, this author has really put in an effort to write a great piece. Here's an excerpt from it. If all you read was this excerpt, you're in pretty good shape. But look, if you're interested in a little bit more, here's a couple more uh, looks from the left, right, et cetera. But we don't want to force people into thinking they have to read multiple articles each time we're saying we'll give you the best and and then some more if you're if you're hungry for it makes sense makes sense so as much as you're able and willing to can you talk a little bit more about how the algorithm works you know i think it's maybe it sounds simple to say oh let's just find you know the the articles with the most number of sources or something but talk a little bit more about how the algorithm works behind the scenes if you can sure yeah yeah we we actually are fairly transparent with the algorithm because if you're in the business of trust and credibility then the best way to build that is to be transparent and say how you work look either people agree or they don't but we're not going to be a black box we don't need another black box algorithm in our lives um, so uh, on our homepage, thefactual.com, uh, there's a link how it works. It's very detailed and there's a video, a little two-minute explainer video. Uh, but the gist of it is every article, we extract all of the content and the links from it and the quotes. And then the first part of the analysis, it says, where do you link to? Are those sites reputable? Are they first-party research, third-party research? Uh, do you link repeatedly? Do you link back to yourself? Are they unique, uh, all kinds of things, relevant, et cetera. So there's a whole link analysis type thing. Then there's a quote analysis. How long are the quotes? Are they attributed? All kinds of things. And that forms your evidence score. Do you have evidence in your article? Then the next bit is the opinionated part. So it's an it's a, uh, algorithm called a natural language processing algorithm. It's kind of a family of algorithms that study text. And it looks for various heuristics around English grammar. So first person pronouns, adverbs, um, slang, all kinds of other things like that, uh, telltale phrases that basically tip off that this is opinionated. And it looks at that relative to the length of the article. So if you have a really short article full of like, you know, uh, opinionated words, it's gonna rate poorly. If you have a very lengthy article, it'll give you some leeway. It'll understand that you might be trying to stitch a little bit of opinion in there. So that's your opinion score. Those two form the base score of the article. And then the next two are the learning bits. So it says, who wrote this article? What have they written on before? How did those previous articles score for evidence and opinion? Do they write only on this topic or do they write on different topics? Effectively, it, it basically what it's doing, Diana, is it's saying, are you a beat reporter? If you're a beat reporter, you're gonna score well. If you're not a beat reporter and you write on everything under the sun, you won't score well. That's basically it. And then the site reputation is just every article we've ever scored for that site historically and how it's trending in the last n number of days. 
Gotcha. Fascinating. I, I actually had a podcast guest on in a previous episode uh, who has a, he, he manages an app that's basically like an advanced chat bot. And so we talked a lot about NLP and I've heard about it a lot in the chat bot context, but I've never really thought about it in this sort of application. So it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I just think that's like the the whole like psychology or, you know, whatever goes into NLP, I think is really fascinating. But It's cool. You know, to, to be honest also, um, some of these NLP algorithms are not terribly smart. <laughs> um, it's, you know, language is a hard concept. It's a very, there's so English, especially it's just a hard language. So I would say they do a best approximation that they can and they're a good first level filter. And, and truth be told, I don't want to ever oversell what we do. The reality is we offer a good first level filter. There are 10,000 articles published every day. You can't possibly go through them and figure out which ones to read and what are worth your time. Think of our grade as a good first level filter. It crushes like 95% of the junk out there. Leaves you with a good 5% clustered into topics from across the political spectrum. Now you're starting at a better place. You can now exercise your judgment and figure out what to believe and what not to. Our algorithm, for example, I would never claim that we can say what is definitively true or false. It's actually very, very tough to do. And I don't yet know of an algorithm that does it well. There's too much context and history and nuance, you know, to understanding what's true or what's not. So uh, I, I would say that we're a good first level filter, very helpful, but you still have to exercise judgment as a reader. You still have to use your critical thinking skills. Yeah, for sure. How are you guys different from some of the other, um, you know, daily newsletter, news newsletter sites? Like I know I've at some point in the past been subscribed to some other ones like uh, The Skim or Bleeding Edge, 1440 Daily Digest, all of those. Um, how would you compare the factual with the other ones out there? Yeah. So I would say, you know, the the older iteration or generation of newsletters, be it The Skim or um, hustle or something like that. They weren't really built in an era where news credibility is the primary problem. Like that was the problem they were solving. They were solving, there's a lot of news. We're going to summarize it and make it easy for you. Uh, and then some focus a little bit more on business versus maybe general politics. So Morning Brew is a very good business newsletter, for example. So they're all good products. They're good newsletters. But in a world where it's like, very hard to know what to believe, or you feel like the news is overly biased and things lean one way. And certainly the skim, I think it's not too hard to see that it leans a little left um, in, in, its, um, in its writing style. So if that's your concern, you feel like you're not getting the unbiased or the unvarnished truth on stuff, then I think those newsletters struggle from a positioning standpoint um, or are, are not the same as our positioning rather. Uh, and then, of course, the technology that we have, this um, credibility scoring system, which is transparent. And, you know, every article in our newsletter, on our website, you can click the little grade button and it shows you all the details on how the article was scored. That whole technology layer is, of course, ours and, and something that they don't have. I would say those would be the two things, the positioning of being unbiased and the technology that's different than other people out there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So. I guess t going back to when you first got the idea for the factual, how did that come about? You know, I know you come from a background of sort of, you know, more corporate traditional uh, careers. I know you started your career at BCG, you know, in kind of like a traditional consulting position. Um, 
how, at what point did you get the idea for the factual? Did you get that entrepreneurial bug? Did you, you know, know deep down that you were going to start your own company? When did all of this come about? Sure. Um, well, this is going to be a real throwback. My very first job was a paper boy. Um, and I was 12. And I kid you not, I don't know that I knew I would do something in news then, but I really did like delivering the newspaper. I don't know. I just, I liked it. Um, so I always had a weird penchant for news. And actually, my first two jobs out of engineering undergrad were at startups. So I didn't go to BCG until much later. Uh, I did two startups, and they were pretty successful. And I really enjoyed building product and working in small teams. So uh, I did a detour. I went to grad school, B school, did BCG and, and big corporate stuff for a bit. And it was good. I always wanted to see like what's life like when you're not in startup land. Because startup land's a grind. And I'm sure you know, given your podcast, it's it's hard. And I was, I don't know, maybe I was a little tired or lazy. I don't know, whatever. But I, I wanted to see the rest of the stuff. I got there and I realized, nope, this isn't for me. I really do like the small, scrappy, where we can make decisions fast and experiment. Um, and I've always had this fascination with news, not only from being a paper boy, even when I was in grad school as the editor of the school newspaper at Stanford. And so I've always liked news. I believe that when news is done well, it is very informative. Uh, it's useful to people. It builds stronger, better communities if people have a shared set of facts that they can trust. Um, so when I met my co-founder and he was coming off of his startup, he had just done a Y Combinator startup that had done very well. Uh, we said, look, if we're going to do this whole startup thing, let's do it for something we really believe in and that we could sink a decade into working on because it takes about a decade to really have any impact. Anything shorter than that, you're kind of just doing startups because it sounds cool. And so, uh, you know, this was an avenue or this was a problem statement that we both really resonated with. Most of our conversations are about the news and what we found is, Whereas before it used to be interesting debates we'd have, now we were arguing about, well, of course that source would say that, or no, you know, how could you even believe that? So it, it, it was a problem that affected us a little bit. And then we thought, boy, this is a really big deal. Um, and I think we could spend a lot of time working on this. The other nice bit was, this is the first time my mom's ever known what the heck I do. I think every other product company I've ever worked on, she's like, huh, what? And now she's like, oh, yeah, he's in the news business. I think she, still, she thinks I write the news. I'm not sure if she knows how it works, but she gets our newsletter. She reads it in the morning, which is cool. <laughs> I love that. I don't think my parents have ever known what it is I do, starting from when I was in law school. I mean, they knew I was in law school, but they couldn't tell you really any more beyond that, like all my involvement in my law school programs. They couldn't tell you any of that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so this this may be like sort of a more personal question, but since starting the factual and, you know, um, I guess like being having your eyes open to these credible news sources, has that changed your personal views or your personal political leanings or any of that at all? Yeah, for me, it has changed a little bit. I would say for my co-founder, less so. So I don't know if, you know, one data point of me is that interesting. But I do think more than changing your viewpoint, what uh, this might do, we hope, is make you more empathetic to different viewpoints. It's not that left people will suddenly go right or vice versa. It's that wherever you are, just don't hate the other side so much. Look, they have their reasons. There's, there's logic behind it. They're not crazy. And if you step away from politics for just one second, we're not that different. We have a lot of the same things we want. We all want safer communities and better schools and 
you know, live healthier and all these things, like we're not that far apart. That's what I hope the factual really accomplishes is that we're more empathetic to people with different viewpoints. That's it. It's not actually setting out to change anyone's viewpoint. Yeah, I love that. I think if there's one thing we need more of in the world today, it's just more empathy from both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, I think so. It's gotten, it's it's disheartening sometimes when you see political commentary and, and news and politics, it's so divisive. And if you step away from it and you talk to ordinary people, and, and we see this all the time with our readers, you know, our readers write all the time to the newsletter, they reply, and I reply to every one of them. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're left or right. And we know a little bit about them sometimes because of like, you know, the ad they might have clicked on that we have some information, but left, right, doesn't matter. They're all very much similar. They just want, give me the information, give me the facts, strip out the nonsense. Uh, and then I need to go about my life. You know, I've got kids and jobs and stuff. Like, I don't want the news to consume me. I just want to be informed. So we're not that different. Yeah, for sure. Another thing that I saw on your LinkedIn that I can't help but ask about is I saw that you went to University of Waterloo. Are you originally yeah. from Canada? I am. I am Canadian. Yes. Okay. My So my parents live in Toronto. They've, they've lived there for the last oh. 10 years or so. Um, so I, yeah, I'm based in Chicago, but Toronto is pretty much my second home. So I'm pretty familiar with the area. So uh, I guess like... <sighs> How would you say, you know, being Canadian? Well, are you Canadian? Are you still Canadian? Or are you- I am. Yes, I am still Canadian. How would you say that being Canadian, you know, has affected your views on American politics? Or how do you kind of see, you know, where that intersection is? Just because like with my own family, I've kind of seen like we're, we're technically American. My parents have dual citizenship, but there's a pretty big difference between Canada and America in many ways that I think Americans, that most Americans don't realize. They think like, oh, Canada and America, it's pretty much the same thing. But I think like even with the mentality and um, just the way of thinking can be very different between Canadians and Americans. So I guess, how do you think being Canadian has impacted your view on American politics and current events? Well, at this point, I've lived in the United States far more than I have in Canada. So, you know, while my passport may be Canadian, I would say my experiences are fairly American at this point. Um, I don't know how much, you know, I would say being Canadian, I have at least another frame of reference to compare against. That's really what I have. Uh, and comparing the two countries is interesting. Uh, it's, it, they're such different countries, you know, 10x the population in the States. It's, uh, it's hard to compare something like that. You know, the United States is just massive. I mean, 330 million people to manage them in a democracy. I mean, that's that's no small feat. And to take the experiences of a country with you know 35 million people and say let's apply the same logic, that's hard. There's just a lot more diversity and range in the United States in some ways. You know, Canada itself, of course, is ethnically very diverse, uh, which is great. But I'm just talking what happens when you have 10x the population. What I see is that in the U.S. and in Canada, like in Canada, uh, politics is, I don't know, it's one facet of life. It doesn't seem to dominate everything. Uh, you know, I think if I remember correctly, for example, in Canada, there's a law, I thought that even bans political advertising, I think in like the week up to an election or something like that. You know, it's kind of a neat little thing that they do in Canada. It's like, okay, all right, you've had to say, let's chill out for a bit and let people have time to make a little. There's no such thing like that in the United States. And I feel like in the U.S., politics dominates a lot more things. 
it's it's omnipresent. It's everywhere, and that can I think be tiring. Um, but the U.S., uh, you know, I really, I don't know. I like the the fight to some degree. I feel like in the states, people fight for what they believe in hard. And I always admire fighters, wherever, whatever side of the battle they are. So I don't know. I think there's something to be uh, admired about the States as well. And in, the, in Canada, I feel like we're a bit more complacent, perhaps. And the U.S., it's like, no, hell no. You know, we're standing up and we're going to punch you in between the eyes. Like, that's a very common sort of system, it seems like. I don't know that it's always a good thing, but I do like it sometimes. Yeah, for sure. There's pros and cons to both sides. And I think I, I always have agreed with, your point in the past, I think like in the last six months or so, it's my view on a lot of that has changed a bit. I've gone back to Toronto a couple times and spent some of quarantine in Toronto. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. Like, I just, I feel like when I'm in Canada, like I just feel more at peace and it's just like a more <laughs> peaceful and chill vibe. Whereas whenever I come back, home to Chicago, that anxiety level almost just immediately skyrockets, you know, being in this environment where even if you consciously try not to watch the news and get yourself involved in politics, it's almost impossible to, to avoid yeah. You're on social media of any kind. If you talk to friends at all, you know, like it's, it's impossible to avoid. My husband has this golf chat group chat with his <sighs> golf buddies mm-hmm. that has turned into a, a politics chat basically yeah. like golf season is pretty much over it's too cold now and so now it's just <laughs> like a politics chat and even if you're you know consciously trying to remove yourself from that it's it's near impossible to do so so yeah actually one of the things so you know our our slogan at the factual is facts not fear and one of the things we really want to try to do is to say if you're informed and you know the facts and you sort of strip out the opinion and the arguments and all that, then it's not as anxiety inducing. Um, I get it. The stakes are high in the election for sides. I understand. But if we strip away the rhetoric a little bit, you'll see that there are probably elements of both sides you could agree on. And people will find that crazy. They're like, there's no way. So-and-so is completely anathema to what I believe in. But again, if you, Take away the rhetoric, the, the divisiveness, the mudslinging, and you look at a policy level, there's probably some things that you could agree on. And we try to do that and help people feel a little bit better about the world the next day. Like, okay, it's not like everyone's gone crazy. They're all solving for reasonable things. Yes, I'm going to disagree with some parts, but I can also agree on other parts. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and that that's something that I was reading an article recently about Um, I forget who it was. It was some famous person saying how they have consciously um, started, you know, following on Twitter and following podcasts and things of people who hold the complete opposite view as them. And they know Mm -hmm. this going into it and it's purposeful. And the the whole point of that is to, you know, I, I think like what the last election cycle taught a lot of people is how disconnected from the rest of the country we actually are yeah like personally in you know in my facebook news feed or in all all of my social media feeds i i had one view presented to me i didn't even think that there was a candidate (laughs) battle at all yeah based off of you know the content that i was consuming being fed on a day-to-day basis i really didn't know there was another side to it 
Um, so obviously, you know, things come as a shock when you think you've got it in the bag and you think, you know, what everybody else thinks, but really that's just like your tiny circle and not a good representation of what the rest of the country thinks. So I, I think that's a good practice. And I think I'm going to have to sign up for the factual for sure, right oh, after excellent. this and make that my new source. <laughs> Actually, one nice uh, bit that you like, Diana. So, you know, this idea of seeing the other side, like I'm in my bubble, what's the other side saying? The research actually says that uh, if you see the other side, sometimes it can make you dig in your heels into your own side a little bit more. But if you peel it back a little bit, what the research really said is, if you see the most extreme versions of the either, of the other side, then you'll dig in your heels. And the problem with social media is that it tends to surface and promote the more extreme. Because of course, those are the ones that get the likes and the hearts and the retweets. But what the factual is saying is we don't care about popularity at all. And what you find with the factual is a lot less sort of uh, opinion and anger and emotion in whatever article that we're suggesting, be it from the left or be it from the right. And that's what I think is needed to really expand your horizons. You want to read the other side, but not the crazy other side, like just different viewpoints, different framings, different facts. Okay, that's good. But not like the, yeah, there's some extreme content on both sides. And it's just, it's scary. I mean, that's not good for anyone. <laughs> you should stay away from that. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, anyway, moving on from this, uh, this is all great. Um, but tell people who you are outside of work and all this hard work that you put into the factual. Like, what do you, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do in your personal life? All the fun things. Ah, right. Well, once you become a startup founder, I'm sure you've heard there is no other life. <laughs> it is all consuming. I have um, heard that, yes. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this from other guests, Diana, but there's a certain degree of stupidity that must be required to do a startup. Because if you knew this was what this, you know, lay ahead and you had other options like, you know, decent employment opportunities, why would you do this? This is nuts. Uh, but anyways, that's a whole different story. Uh, so yeah, outside of uh, work, you know, I, I'm, I'm married and I have two kids, an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and um, that's most of what we do is is playing with them and, and doing fun stuff with them. And just before we started, I mentioned we took them to Zion and Bryce National Park last a uh, couple of weeks ago, so that was really fun. Uh, so I like hiking and doing outdoor stuff, and we're in the Bay Area, so we're fortunate to have lots of things to do, biking and hiking and I occasionally surf very badly, but I will do it once in a while. Um, so stuff like that. Uh, you know, outside of that, uh, I like cooking. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good cook by average standards, but in my house, I'm the worst cook. My wife is phenomenal. My mom is really good. My parents live with us and my mom's amazing. And, and my sister is great and her husband is great and everyone's a better cook than me. Even my nephew's a better cook. Uh, so we cook a lot of food in our house and we are constantly... I should be far fatter. I think it's the, 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 the startup is killing off the fat reserves, I think. So anyway, so we cook and eat a lot of different food and uh, that's it. That's life. Where do I send in my application to be part of the family so I can partake <laughs> in all the eating? Come anytime. I kid you not. Like uh, a big part of, of making food is to share food with friends. So yeah, post-pandemic when this cra craziness is over and you happen to be, we're, we're very near the SFO airport in San Francisco, swing by, drop me a call and, and swing by for, for some food. We'll whip something up. 
I would love that. I'm not a great cook myself. I'm not even a good, uh, yeah, I'm not really even a decent cook if I'm honest, but I can absolutely contribute in the eating and the socializing and the partaking in the food part. <laughs> nice. I think the, you know, if you're going to be a good cook, you need people who appreciate good food. The two go together. So that can be your role. I can you appreciate, appreciate <laughs> I can for sure appreciate it. I, I, I love eating out. And even during the pandemic, my husband and I have, you know, still been trying new restaurants, just ordering out. And it's been, it's been great actually in the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know how it was in San Francisco, but here in Chicago, a lot of restaurants got creative with their menus and, um, you know, some of like, uh, the Michelin starred restaurants here created takeout menus that were a little different from their traditional oh. menus. So we got to try a lot of cool restaurants that we haven't tried in person before. Uh, so that's, that's always a big part of my life is food and, eating and can absolutely appreciate food. Nice. Are your, I, I think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I was going to I was going to say that, you know, Chicago is kind of a little bit of a hidden gem, I think, when it comes to food. Most people might not, you, you know, you think of the traditional LA and, and New York as the two big ones, but my parents lived in Chicago for a couple of years and then I lived in Philly for a few years and Philly and Chicago are surprisingly great for food. I've heard great things about Philly. I haven't been since I was a kid, but I've heard really good things. I think Chicago is a great food city. It depends on what kind of food you're after. Um, if you're after, you know, Asian food, I think definitely LA, San Francisco, New York, they, they have us topped out like by, you know, 10 yeah. times. But if you're just looking for like, you know, the, the new category that everybody's all about now, new American food, like oh. that kind of cuisine or farm to table, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. I think, I think Chicago is, does a really good job with that. Um, or even some fusion cuisine. So maybe not like the traditional Asian food, but a lot of fusion, you know, there's like Asian and, uh, uh Mexican fusion, Asian and American yeah. fusion, um, different types of fusion food. I think we're pretty strong at here in Chicago. So are your, are your kids right now back in school or are they still in Zoom school? No, they're in Zoom school. Although my son, uh, he's in third grade. They go to a hybrid in a few weeks. Um, so he's excited about that. And then my daughter is four. She actually, she could go back to preschool. At this point, we're kind of debating it. The problem is like we're all at home and this is terrible, Diana. I think we're, we're bad parents. We just like having her in the house and playing with her. I don't know that we're solving for her educational sort of uh, performance anymore. We're just like, it's fun and we're home and we will get to see her as much next year when she goes to kindergarten. So we're selfishly keeping her at home. <laughs> so I, I don't have kids, so I can't relate on that level, but I do have a dog and uh, he has pretty bad separation anxiety. So we've been trying to send him to daycare, like doggy daycare and things like that and get him over it. But then I'm like, eh, but I kind of like having him at yeah. home and it's kind of lonely when he's away at daycare. And so I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, and am I, does he have separation anxiety because of me? Like, am I the yeah. one with separation anxiety <laughs> or is he the one with it? <laughs> exactly. I think so. But That's I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing. You solve for yourself first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. Okay. So if you had one piece of advice to give to yourself 10 years ago or to give to somebody, you know, who's at an earlier stage in their career and they want to do something, create something like you've created one day, what would be your number one piece of advice for them? Ooh, um, uh, I'd say there's probably 
this is a very, very tough journey. It's a very rewarding journey because you learn a lot about what you're good at and a lot about what you're bad at, which is most things. It's a very, very humbling journey. Um, and so it puts, it puts strain on everything around you, on finances, on relationships. It's just, it's tough. It's all consuming. So before you go into it, get the other parts of your life in order. If you have a, a partner, a spouse, whatever, uh, children, anyone in your family, make sure they understand what you're signing up for and that you might not be as present. Um, there's some upside, you know, the nice thing is uh, you're a founder, you can control your schedule in a weird way. Like I can, I can go to random things for my kids if they have, you know, baseball or whatever, I'll go. But it also means that I'm never off. There is no weekend and there is no real holiday anymore. Um, so it's a weird setup like that. And, and it's important for everyone around you to understand that that's the life you're signing up for. And it's probably going to last at least five years, if not more, because that's the startup phase. Finances are tough. So make sure that you have that in order. You know, if you've got a lot of debt that you're carrying, this is not a good lifestyle. Like, don't do this. You need to have all those boxes checked and cleared and live on minimal, minimal means, like strip down expenses, because otherwise it just adds so much tremendous more stress and you don't need any more. So that's what I'd say. Just prepare for what you're going into. And if all those bits are in place, then I think it is a very rewarding journey. And I'm very fortunate to have a wife that's extremely understanding who basically carries the finances of the house at this point. I mean, she's running the show, not me. Um, so I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for my parents and, and everyone around me as a support system and allows me to go and focus on this day and night. Um, and I've heard from other founders, I think you need something like that. You need a support system. You're not doing the startup on your own. You're doing it with your friends and family around you, supporting you, even though it may not seem that way. Wow. Yeah, that's very real and raw advice. And I love that. It's I, I ha, I'm so kind of surprised I haven't heard that from anybody else. Um, and I, I think an interesting experiment, maybe I'll do this one day, is kind of like you said, you know, like you're the founder, you're the startup founder, right? But it's really you and your wife and your kids and your parents and your friends and the rest of your family. I think it'd be an interesting experience. Maybe one day to, you know, maybe I'll start a new podcast one day and it's friends and families of startups. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be really cool. Like, you know, there's, uh, if you accomplish anything big in life, right. And whatever facet, it's always a team effort. I, I, there's never been a case. I think where it's one person assistant researchers, supporting staff, whatever, teammates, family. And the sooner you realize that as a founder, that you're really part of a bigger team and you're really working on a mission that's even bigger than you, then it makes you feel a little bit smaller. And that's good. Like, you know, you should aim big, but understand you're part of something bigger and you're just trying to move everyone in that direction. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it gives you perspective. Otherwise, you get really wrapped up in yourself. Like you think you're the be all end all and you're not like, we're just, we're a company and we're trying to do something good. Lots of people are, we're all in this together and let's just hope we're rowing in the same direction. That's it. I love that. That's so uplifting. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that you're note, welcome. on that note, um, I always like to end every podcast episode with a fun little game with my oh. podcast guests. It's just like a purely for fun. It's not business related or anything like that. 
Not like a Rorschach test, is it? Are you going to show like ink? No, 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 no. It's not a test. (laughs) It's not business related. It's it's just purely for fun. So I've got two Mm -hmm. different games set up and I'll let you pick one. I have this, this or that game or the word association game. Good grief. Let's go with this or that. That sounds easier. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody chooses that. I, I don't know what it is. Okay, well. Uh, I'm going to have to make the this or that game a little harder and switch it up for people in the future. But, okay, here we go. So I've got 10 sets of words. I'm going to say A or B, and you just tell me which one you prefer. No explanation needed. We're just going to rapid fire blow through this. Okay. Okay, first one, plane or train? Train. Hot or cold? Hot. Night or day? Day. Beach or mountain? Mountain. Coffee or tea? Tea. Freedom or stability? Freedom. Books or podcasts? Books. Past or future? Future. U.S. or Canada? No. (laughs) (laughs) I snuck that one in there. (laughs) Uh, Very tough. I would probably still say Canada. My heart's always going to be Canadian at some level. I, I feel that. I feel that. All right. Last one. Work or play? Play. Nice. I like it. Congrats. That's the end of the game. You've passed with flying colors. <laughs> Thank you. That was delightful. That was a lot of fun. I like that a lot. It'd be actually awesome. Now that would be very interesting to see how other founders score, like not score, but what they choose and some sort of sample set. I'm just curious. What the heck do founders say? Do you know what? The one that trips up everybody is the last one, work or play. It's like I say that and like you gave me an answer right away, but most people are like, ah, I can't decide. And <laughs> I feel like most people go with work. Um, oh. And then what's what's another one? I guess the freedom or stability one. If you're a startup founder, you're probably after the freedom because <laughs> there's not much probably. stability in the startup yeah, world. I think so. You know, the work or play one is interesting because I feel like I'm the accidental founder in a lot of ways. Like, Really, I'm quite a lazy person. Um, I don't know how I got into this. And given the choice, like I'm a huge, huge soccer fan. And I play, like I would play soccer any day, any time. Same with hockey. Like it would be a kicking a can down the street is more fun to me than most other things in life. Like I'm that, uh, so much of a nerd on that. And so, yeah, like, I don't know. It's not even a question. I would play all day if I could. I just, I'm not good at it, but I would play all day if I could. I wouldn't call that being lazy at all. I thought you were going to say I could play soccer on FIFA all day on my couch. (laughs) I thought that's where you're going because you led with I'm actually quite lazy. No, No, I I do. I like to go out and play. There's something about kicking a ball on a a green grass field. That's just I don't know. It's like it must be what golfers, maybe your husband relates to this. You know, it's like you see a big open fairway and it just feels clean and you feel good. And I think it's the same thing with soccer you see a big green patch and you're like oh this feels great that could be it (laughs) that could be it all right well before you go Arjun tell people where they can learn more about the factual how they can sign up for your newsletter and then also how people can get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you personally sure yeah so uh just go to thefactual.com and that's where you'll find everything about us sign up for the newsletter there and that basically that starts everything so sign up for the newsletter and, and you'll get woven into the community um, and as far as reaching me, best place is probably Twitter, I would say. Uh, my handle is Juice Morthy. Uh, very strange entomology behind that. But anyways, Juice Morthy, 
you can reach me at uh, Twitter or heck, just drop me an email as well. It's arjun.morthy at thefactual.com and I'll reply quickly. Awesome. So if you guys want to know where Juice Morthy came from, go ahead and slide into Arjun's DMs on Twitter and maybe <laughs> he'll tell you where that came from. <laughs> All right. Well, Arjun, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't wait to get signed up for the factual and have some of my my news anxiety reduced, um, especially as we go into the next couple of weeks. And I, once COVID's cleared up and we're all traveling again, I will definitely take you up on the offer to try some of your family's home cooking. Excellent. Um, I'm gonna hold you to that. Um, and <laughs> let me know if you're ever in Chicago. I will, I will. Thank you very much for having me. What a delightful conversation. Great, this was great so much questions. Fun. Yeah, thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks so much. All right, I'll talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.